0: unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible-carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in.
1: Well, Arid, it is the fourth Sunday after Epiphany, or at least that's what we're prepping for, and, uh, you know, Time just seems to be flying by. Can you believe this episode is dropping a month after Christmas? We're a month out from Christmas.
0: Yep. And so whatever psychological uh, bump you got from Christmas is now faded very quickly. It's petered out. Yep. Your New Year's resolutions have uh, failed. Uh, They're now um, like the they they have as much substance as the dust bunnies under your couch.
1: And when. And, I mean, who would have known that uh, that new strain of COVID turning people into zombies? So.
0: I know. I've, uh, I've, I'm glad I, have, yeah, I live in Texas, so I've got a gun in every room, so I think I'll be all right. Uh, no, we actually don't know if that's going to happen. We're recording yeah, it's far just ahead kidding, of time. Just who kidding. knows, who knows? Um, it's just kidding. I will just, we're reminding everybody that it's about two weeks before Valentine's Day, so now is the time to start. Uh, so you avoid that last-minute CVS rush.
1: That's a great point. Have you ever been down that aisle in CVS, like, the random holiday aisle? Like, during Christmas, it's got, like, you know, the, like, sham wow. ShamWow. And, um, I can neither confirm like, nor deny whether I've ever shopped the And that then, like, you're CBS. just like, yeah, and then the, like, Cloth Rose. Like, whoever looked at a Cloth Rose and is like, damn, that's a good idea. Past the 8th grade. <laughs> I thought it was a good idea in the 8th grade. I was like, that chick would totally Ooh, dig somebody this. Somebody
0: pulled out all the stops for me. <laughs>
1: Got me a fake
0: rose with the and those little like dew drops on the petals that are like it's basically just like from a hot glue gun. Like glue, yeah. Ooh,
1: yeah, and they're like classy. I mean you're know, like and I'm gonna top off I'm gonna top off this evening with a Stover's top microwave dinner.
0: And I got you some waxy chocolates. Does that win me? Am I gonna have sex tonight?
1: <laughs> All right. I Only if you're, you're married. That's so, right. Any,
0: Yes, this is fully in compliance with the uh, constitution and canons of the Episcopal Church. Um so, I want to, though to uh um I don't know, I was going to say something, now I lost my turn of thought. Anyways,
1: 2 weeks, 2 weeks till nice Valentine's Day. Wait, January I didn't it there, but anyway, uh, cloth roses do a lot, but not that. So anyway, <laughs> good for kindling. So, so um Slightly yeah. toxic. So, but uh, our readings today, I'm glad you're doing well. I'm doing well. Thank um, you, Jake. Every- are you? I
0: was thinking it. I was <laughs> thinking about asking you, but then you look so great. I was like, why do I even have to ask?
1: Every time I'm with you is a good day there, Aaron. So, but uh, um, our readings today are Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 20. And then we have 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, and then uh, continuing to make our way through Mark's gospel, we take a look at Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Or as he's known well, in Boston, Mac, Mac, Mark. Mark Wahlberg. So anyway, but... <laughs> Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. For the record, uh, I love that. We're, we're killing yeah. a lot of time here. Let's yeah, just let's dive move. Okay, time.
0: Deuteronomy 18. So it is Epiphany. It's the season after Epiphany, and the reason that this passage is in here again, we've jumped from First Samuel to Jonah. Now, way back in time to Deuteronomy 18. This is in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is number 5 and this is kind of a recap of the law. It is getting ready to go into the promised land. It's Moses's swan song before he passes the baton to Joshua. All that stuff is happening. And Deuteronomy 18, the reason it's here in the season of Epiphany is because Epiphany is all about the revealing that Jesus is the Messiah, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles and for the whole world. And so you've got all these statements in all these Old Testament readings throughout the season of of Epiphany, or it's not really, it's the season after Epiphany. All of this is about the word of the Lord saying something and also kind of these looking ahead to Jesus, because it's showing you that from the very beginning, Jesus was the plan. So here in this passage, 18, you have the word of the Lord speaking through Moses and talking about raising up a prophet who's to come. So this is a messianic prophecy. This is a neon arrow flashing sign pointing ahead to Jesus saying that there's somebody coming. And we see this in verse 18. I'll raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people and I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet. So this is god talking to through moses telling the people of israel somebody is coming so this is uh yeah looking ahead to jesus
1: yeah and it ties in mercifully here like to our collect of the day mercifully hear the supplications of your people and in our time grant us your peace through jesus christ our lord and uh the truth is is that uh this promise Uh, is a result of God hearing the supplications of his people. And now he is granted uh, in our time peace because he has fulfilled that promise in sending that prophet, who is Jesus. Um, It's interesting, Islamic uh, apologists will use this passage as a justification for Muhammad, uh, but nothing could be further from the truth. Um, And uh, this is demonstrated ultimately. um, Moses sees this on the Mount of Transfiguration when they are... um, when they are discussing with Elijah the prophet uh, Jesus' exodus from this world, uh, his crucifixion, and how he fulfills the law and the prophets. And uh, the truth is, is that everything Jesus has said as that prophet, repent, uh, believe, the kingdom of God has come near you. Um, Well, that is good news, and for those of us who have been wandering around in the dark longing for a word from the Lord, um, to hear that um, is great salvation, and we cling to it, because without it, indeed, we know, as we look around us, we will die. Yep,
0: and and there's also a, a word here, uh, as you've said, Jake, about a mediator, um, because... If we, you know, this direct access to God, which terrifies the people of Israel. That's why they say, you know, I can't do it anymore. As you said, if I even see this great fire, I will die. Mm. If I hear God's voice anymore, I will die. Because there's such a great gulf between sinful human beings Mm. and a holy God. And, uh, but yet, because this God loves us so much says, I'm going to raise up another prophet. And there's kind of this um, a, a mediator, an intermediator, intermediary to, to go between God and humans. And I think mm-hmm. um, the important thing here, there's a couple things. Uh, the, um, the fact that God says another person is coming after Moses means that Moses doesn't get the job done.
1: Yeah, Moses, Moses can't was, get the job done.
0: Moses, unlike immigrants in Hamilton, who do get the job done, uh, Moses <laughs> cannot. Uh, he because as great as Moses is, and he is, you know, he's he's Moses, he's, he's a big deal. Yeah, but. Uh, he gives the law, and the law cannot bring about what it commands. Uh, the whole rest of the history of the people of Israel, af- from actually even before this, but now from Deuteronomy out, as we move into the next book, uh, Joshua, and then into Judges, it's just going to be failure after failure of people to be able to keep the law. The command does not bring about Mm -hmm. that which it commands. And so that's why Mm -hmm. it's almost an admission of failure at this point that the ministry of Moses is not going to be able to do it. And so there's going to have to be another one. And so if you preach this passage, preach in such a way that you're saying another one had to come uh, raised up from among the people, so this was going to be a human being coming out of the nation of Israel, but yet God's words would be in this person's mouth and there's going to be something that's not law because law didn't work. There's going to be some new message that, that, mm-hmm. will, that will come from this prophet. And of course we know from the uh, prologue of John's gospel, words of grace and truth. And so yep. you want to and point have people an, to Jesus.
1: Yeah, our only mediator and advocate. So that is says. good. hmm Now, uh, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. This is a bit of a heavy passage, unlike last week's uh, two verses that just kind of seemed out of nowhere. Uh, This is a heavy one, and this is about um, essentially kind of, I mean, how we live as Christians.
0: Yeah, so this is continuing Paul writing to the Corinthian church about all the questions they had. They are new Christians. Most of them come from pagan backgrounds, worshiping deities in the greco-roman pantheon although there were some jewish people as well who converted to christianity and so you've got this diverse community that wants to know how do we live and one of the things that was vexing them was how do we deal with meat that has been sacrificed to idols you would not um have just gone to a regular butcher to buy meat that Mm -hmm. was just killed to eat any meat that was slaughtered would have been slaughtered and offered to zeus or whoever and so uh, to participate by eating that, are you, are you in a sense um, approving of or participating in uh, idol right. worship? And so um, there was this argument, and Paul is quoting back to uh, the Corinthians, the arguments that some of them have used to him for why they should be allowed to eat meat sacrificed to idols. First, it's delicious. Second, um, they say, quote, all of us possess knowledge, meaning we know that idols aren't real and we have a greater understanding. We're intellectual Christians and we understand this better yeah. and so we should be allowed to do it. Um, and then in verse 4, quote, no idol in the world really exists and, quote, there is no God but one. So they're using theological arguments, intellectual arguments to say that basically idols aren't real. So if they're basically fairy tales and somebody offers meat to a fairy tale, it doesn't matter because the fairy tale doesn't exist, so I can just have my steak and it's fine. But then Paul points out, as like, hold on a second, you are not an an Anne Rand uh, isolationist individualist. Screw everybody else. I can do what I want, kind of person. You live in community, and your actions impact other people. And as Christians, we need to care about other people. And so he talks about someone if if they have what he calls quote unquote a weak conscience in verse seven. If they see you eat the food and they think of that as food offered to an idol, you now have hurt their conscience. You've hurt their heart and mind. And uh, and Paul. so Paul acknowledges in verse 8 that idols don't mean anything. He says, we're no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Yeah. So he says, the point is not to be like, what am I allowed to do? What is what is What can I get away with? The question is, how do my actions impact other people and not just other people but specifically how do my actions impact the weakest quote-unquote the weakest members of our community so uh you, you know if if there's a person is who's in early sobriety and they're coming to a dinner party at your house you will not serve wine for example not because you're not allowed to have wine or that alcohol is immoral but you don't want to cause any sort of offense or temptation to the person among you who is most vulnerable and, um, and is, quote unquote, the, the weaker brother. So that's Paul's, Paul's approach to ethics here is rooted, again, not necessarily in this black and white, what's right and what's wrong and what can I get away with and what's allowed contractually, but how do my actions impact other people? Because he says, these weak believers, these people you see as weak believers, Christ died for them.
1: And so you need to yeah. value them even more highly than yourself. That, I mean, and I think that's absolutely right. That is, uh, you know, um, uh, it's not about moving from vice to virtues. It's about moving from virtue to grace. It's about not moving, like, deeper into yourself and what you can do. Uh, but, but moving outside of yourself um, and uh, being aware of your neighbor and, uh, and their faith and uh, where they're at. And really, that is the, that's the idea and the ethic here. And, and you've just summed it up beautifully. Um, I think I might have set, shared this story when we covered this one time. Um, but I remember we were with um, some, um, some like brand new like kind of Thai missionary Christians who were there. We were in the Diocese of San Diego, and I don't know why we decided to take them to a Thai restaurant, but nonetheless, we did. And uh, there, they always have these big, like they had these statues and kind of part of the decor. But for a lot of these folks, this was real business for them. This wasn't about decor. And, uh, you know, and it was quite offensive. And uh, while um, I may have had a hankering for the peanut curry there, uh, we did not eat there because it was, was, uh, for those people, it was real. And uh, in a lot of that world, for those people, it is real, you know, and uh, to have um, or like the alcohol, the alcoholic, that is a real idol. It is a demon to them. You know what I mean? And uh, to, to have that considered. But I just love how you articulate that. It's about pulling yourself up outside of yourself, not what you can and can't do. Uh, but mm-hmm. wh- what's your neighbor need?
0: Yeah, and I think it is, it is you know, we never, I think in this country, we almost never have conversations about ethical matters in this light, sadly. We always mm. talk about what is my right versus what is even your right. Even, even in the in church. Even in the church. We never really talk about how will my actions affect you, even if, so, and I just think about, uh, yeah, we uh, they, we always take thing, we always
1: take it to Moses as opposed to uh, as opposed to the prophet he pointed to. Amen. I mean, he, so here Paul is
0: saying, like, yeah, you you do have a right to eat meat. You are, it's totally fine. It's actually there's no ethical or moral problem with you eating meat, except that when you do exercise your right, your God given right to eat a steak, it is it is actually hurting somebody in your community, um, and uh, and because of that. Um, you won't do it. And so, Paul says this amazing thing. Therefore, if, in verse 13, if food is a cause of their failing, I will never eat meat so that I may not mm-hmm. cause one of them to fall. So, I mean, can you imagine somebody in this country saying, because it hurts some of my, I mean, this is somebody in Alabama saying, because it hurts some of my brothers and sisters in San Francisco, I will never own an assault rifle. Not because it's, right or wrong for me to do so but just because i know it hurts the conscience of somebody else i will give up something that i'm allowed to have because i don't want to hurt somebody else with it now i don't mean to offend anybody that's on one side or another of the gun argument but i just want to illustrate kind of that dynamic here we almost never talk about moral arguments in terms of not is it right or wrong but how will my actions impact other people with whom i don't agree Uh, and so it creates a whole different way to think about things and uh, so for the Christian, one should always be asking, "How do my actions and beliefs impact other people in the body of Christ?" and um, and I need to think about it. It just creates a it's a new way to think about it. It creates some humility there, um, and it's so different from "What do I get away with?" or "What do I get?" and more. It's less of a me, me, and more of a we and us. Um, and for you can Paul uh, to you... say, "I will never eat meat because it might hurt somebody's
1: feelings," it's a pretty incredible, yeah. selfless thing to say. You can apply that to all sorts of things in this country, you know, battle flags, uh, names, you know, all sorts of things uh, for us to think about. But it, really, that is the key thing. It's not, um, it's not about you. It's about what Christ has done for you. And now um, love builds up and it builds up a community. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: All right, so wow. moving on from love and concern for the other, we now turn to the gospel of Mark. And again, uh, the idea here in the season of Epiphany is just the revelation of who Jesus is and who he is for. And here they are in this village of Capernaum, uh, which is this little town on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Galilee, and, yep. Uh, it is Saint Peter's hometown. It's the home base of much of Jesus' ministry, though he was raised in Nazareth. He, he used his he used Capernaum as kind of an HQ for his ministry in Galilee, and he's in that yep. synagogue. And it's a little uh, it's teaching. a little place too for the record. tiny place. Yeah,
1: it is a little place. So, but yeah, yep. So there he
0: is, uh, and Jesus is described as one having authority, which is important. That's Uh,
1: important because not as the scribes. And what that means is, is so when the scribes taught, they would like say, well, you know, Rabbi so-and-so quoted Rabbi so-and-so who quoted Rabbi so-and-so, you know, and, uh, and what Jesus is up there is he's not quoting anybody. He is, he's bringing, he's bringing his own heat. And so this is what sort of, this is what makes it so shocking because, you know, everybody had been adding like kind of adding to it. And so, and they got their authority from someone else and Jesus is stepping in because he has his own authority. And here, um, not only, um, not only are the crowds taking notice of this authority, but hell itself is beginning to take notice. Yep, and, uh, and there's a
0: person in synagogue, again, always interesting that we think of churches as places where bad people or bad things or would never be, but here in the synagogue there's a person with an unclean spirit, and this spirit cries out, this demon cries out, uh, knowing full well who Jesus is, what have you to do with us, have you come to destroy us, and then this kicker, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Uh, meaning <clears throat> Messiah, meaning Son of God, meaning mm-hmm. uh, <coughs> Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Yeah. So, so the and demon the demons, knows exactly who it they is.
1: recognize him. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: uh, even though the people don't. So, uh, it, it just sh- this is one of those places where you know it's set in just a very earthly, normal place. You know, this is like uh, yeah, it's just a normal place, and yet here is this incredible spiritual battle taking place, and Jesus. Uh, i mean it's what's what's fantastic about this is that he doesn't have to say some magic spell there's no harry mm-hmm. potter wand mm-hmm. there's no latin phrase said just right with the flick <laughs> of the wrist he just commands simply there's no showiness there's no um gosh who who are those two guys in vegas with the white tigers oh uh, yeah I know Anyways. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. There, there's no showmanship here. Um, Sieg, I want to say Siegfried and Roy. Sieg, was that it? Sieg, yeah, Siegfried and Roy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, there's none of that. It's just like, be silent, come out of it. Yeah.
1: And like, he, he he cries out with a loud voice. So he, I think it's actually you know. the demon screaming that like everybody's yeah. like, whoa, whoa, what? So yeah. they were all amazed and they kept on asking, what is this? You know? Yeah, and so this is this
0: is Jesus coming to um, undo everything that fell apart in Eden, and this is also demonstrating the one way in which what we just read in Deuteronomy 18 is fulfilled. So God had said through Moses to the people of Israel that another prophet would come from your own people, and we'll put, God would put his words in the mouth of this prophet, um, and uh and here' an, here it happens in Capernaum and uh, this prophet has come out of the people and and is speaking the word of God and uh, has power over all these forces of evil and so I think uh, uh, this is a part of Jesus's ministry that is I think sometimes obscured uh, some denominations make maybe more of it than it needs to be but Uh, Certainly Jesus does have power over spiritual forces of evil, which are real and um, which absolutely affect people in your congregation. And so I think it's always good for people to be reminded of the immense power that Jesus Christ has over evil forces. And um, it's the same power that allows him to defeat sin, death, and the devil on the cross. Uh, That's right. But that work begins even here with his command... Uh, and shows what is Christ's will for you and for me and for all human beings, is that we would be set free from these sorts of things. So, Lord, have mercy. Uh, Lord, come quickly. Uh, Lord, save us now. Uh, because yeah. this is something we all, we all desperately
1: need. Yeah. I mean, and that is, that's ultimately it. This authority, this demonstration is pointing to where he will once and for all defeat the demonic forces that have held us all captive. Um, He will defeat them once and for all on the cross because um, he does have the authority to do so. And he demonstrates that authority in his weakness and he demonstrates that authority in his death. And he confirms that authority in his resurrection from the dead. And indeed, um, while his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee for that um, interesting event, his uh, word has spread forth around the world because he has died for you he's risen for you and he's coming again for you.
0: Yeah, and I and I would say to your people it is quite all right for them for you to tell them that the spiritual forces of evil are still very much in this world and are if there's anybody that's telling them in their inner mind that they are not worthy, that they are not forgiven, that they are not loved. Again, that is all stuff that's straight from the pit. And just reminding your congregation that what Jesus says to those unclean spirits is shut up. (laughs) Be silent. And what, what the Word of God incarnate in Jesus Christ says to you is that you are loved, you are forgiven, you are washed, you are cleansed, you are... Um, you have died with Christ and you have risen with him. And so, so this is the good news. And so you want to make sure that the spirit of Christ, which is in your congregation, that they know that that spirit of Christ still is doing the same work in their lives at, it- he was doing in Capernaum which is to silence those voices and to speak to them a good word of love and grace and so make sure you preacher, speak that word to yourself um, or hear it from Jesus Christ in this text and make sure you preach that to your congregation the word of love and grace and pardon and forgiveness and power and authority and cleansing uh, for them because that's that's what we need that's right St. Jake that's good
1: musical break Well, that is a good word, and uh, we hope we've given you a good word and something to work with. And so happy preaching, everyone, and uh, God bless you all.